Well, good morning, and good morning to all of you tuning in online. Glad you're here. Uh, that video really is, is quite descriptive of who we are as a church and who we want to be as a church. You know, when we started Common Ground years ago, uh, the heartbeat really was about multiplying. Um, and not just for the sake of multiplying, but multiplying people uh, growing and thriving in Jesus. Uh, if you've been here very long, you know there's quite a few churches here in the, the Carson City, Carson Valley area, and there's some really good churches. And when we started Common Ground, uh, it was really through the impetus of, of, I believe, God speaking to us saying, I don't need necessarily another church in town, but another kind of church. And so over the years, I think God has reaffirmed that call in that direction, meaning keeping a little bit simple. Uh, and, and keeping multiplying. The, the goal is to go, and, and we're studying Acts right now, and what we see in Acts is a movement of God through his people. And here's the thing about a movement. It moves. <laughs> a movement moves. Things with wheels are supposed to roll, as we saw last week, and we are part of a movement. It's the movement of God, but we've, we've done some things through the years, um, like this, maybe this really bad theology you remember from Sunday school. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the church and see all the people. And we become the, the frozen chosen within the building, rather than the church really is the ecclesia, uh, meaning a group of people called out for God for a purpose, to, you know, to go do something, to move, to go. It, you know, Jesus was always moving. He would come to a town, he would teach, a crowd would gather, then they'd say, hey, stay here. He says, no, I have to go to the next town and the next town. And Jesus, when he left, he says, as the Father sent me, I send you. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. He didn't say, make a really good church and sit there and, and, and hopefully people will come to you. He said, go. I mean, Jesus was all about moving and going. And that's what we're about, moving and going, but not moving and going just for the sake of moving and going, not moving and going because we have a good brand of church. You know, that you can fall into that trap but moving and going because people are finding abundant life in Jesus. You know, I mean, real life is only found in Jesus. And I'm talking eternal life, but I'm also talking now. The real life God has for his people is only available through Jesus. And we have that. And so we enjoy it, and then we go and we share it. So it's not just going empty-handed. We're going with our arms full of the blessings of Jesus to share that with others. And as we look in Acts, this is what we're learning about the movement of the church, and this is why we're going to try something new in two weeks. So maybe you've noticed the world is weird right now and different. Maybe you've noticed these masks people are wearing um, and the social distancing that we're supposed to do. Because of that, church is different. And there's been house church movements throughout the world that, that have been amazing. China is one example, India, places where house churches have, have gone and multiplied it's never worked all that well in the United States. And I'm not saying the house church movement is the right one or the wrong, not that at all. I think God expresses himself in many different ways. But right now, in our environment, maybe God wants to do something a little bit different. Maybe God wants to do different kinds of movements while doing, I mean, church the way we do it, that keeps going. But then maybe there's other ways that God's going to use to reach. And so in two weeks, we're going to try doing church in four different homes. We're going to do it here too. So if you're part of a group, uh, go with your group to one of those homes. We'll ask you to do that. Um, if you're not part of a group, you still can go to one of those, or you can come here. We're still going to need people here. Otherwise, the video will look really weird. Um, but our, our goal is to then go to homes, 
watch the service like a lot of you are right now. So if you're watching online, awesome. Go join some other people in two weeks and watch it with some others. We'll sing together. There's something cool about singing together better than like three of you. That kind of gets weird, especially if one is really off. Um, but we're going to go and worship together, and then we're going to have a little survey and go, how was that? You know, how could we do that better next time? And then maybe in a couple months, if God is still leading us to think about this, we'll do it again and say, now this time, invite friends, invite neighbors. Because our, our vision, our dream is to have, you know, healthy churches, growing Christians in communities for those communities. You know, some of you are driving from the ranchos. Well, we're not in the ranchos, but we would love to see, if that's your community, that's where God wants you to be serving and helping, and, you know, not just there. But we want to be in communities for those communities. You know, we live in the Johnson Lane area. We want our community to thrive and go. And so, in two weeks... Give this a try. It might be weird. You don't have to do it again. Uh, you might find it's awesome and you look forward to the next time. Who knows what God will do? Uh, but we want to be open uh, to his movement because we believe, and this is coming out to me in my study of Acts, you know, that God does not have a mission for his church. He is a church to carry out his mission. Here's what I mean by that. He didn't save us. Jesus didn't die on the cross, rise from the dead, and then... Uh, we find life in him, and then he's like, what am I going to do with all these people? You know, I should just rapture them now, or I got to leave them. He didn't go, okay, now I'm going to give them this mission. Rather, Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. That was his mission. You know, he, he desires none to be lost, but for all to come to repentance. That's his mission. And so he formed his church to carry out his mission. What Jesus did on earth, now he left. Now we are continuing what he did. He has a mission for us, but it's who we are. We are plan A, and there is no plan B. The, the mission isn't optional. It really isn't. And so we're going to be looking at Acts. We're going to be in chapter 2, but I want you to remember Acts 1-8. So the video, bumper video, shows Acts 1-8. That really is the theme of the book of Acts, where he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the rest of Acts will follow that pattern, and to a certain extent, that's still the mission we're called to, to be witnesses and to go. In Acts 1.8, Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit to empower his people for mission. And we're going to look at Pentecost today in Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at the coming of the Holy Spirit on his people with power. But we're going to skip some things. Uh, we're skipping some of Acts chapter 1, and we're going to do this through Acts. If we went through every single verse, we'd be going through this book for two years, so we're not going to do that. Um, but some of the things we're skipping over, these uh, disciples, the, 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 the 11, saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Then they went back to Jerusalem, because that's what they were told to do. They were obeying. Uh, they gathered the other Jesus followers that there were. There's 120 total. They got together in a room to pray. And they were doing this. This is what God told them to do, so this was a good thing. And while they were there, they decided, wait a minute, uh, Judas, you know, betrayed Jesus. Uh, he committed suicide. We need to replace him because there needs to be 12 apostles. And so they chose two men. They cast lots between them, uh, and they had a new apostle. Now, some will say they shouldn't have done that. Um, a lot of narrative just tells us what happens. Old Testament, New Testament narrative, and Acts is narrative just tells us what happens. It doesn't always say this is what should have happened or this is what should continue to happen. And this is one of those, some will say they chose the wrong guy because God knew who he was going to make that 12th apostle and that would be Paul. I don't know. 
We'll find out when we get to heaven. But there is something significant about 12 apostles. God chose them, and they had a unique role that will never be repeated. That's why I want to just point that out before we get into Pentecost. There are no apostles like those 12 anymore. A church that says, we have an apostle, you know, that hears from God... They, they don't. Now, there can be the gift of, of apostle, which is like a church planter or a missionary, but it's not an apostle like those first 12. So uh, we're not going to talk about that anymore, but there it is. We're going to talk about Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit with power. Look at verse 1, Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of them in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. What do we see here? We see here a lot. But here we see the Holy Spirit coming with power for the first time on his church. Uh, Pentecost, this was a Jewish feast, uh, like the Passover, was a a feast. uh, You know, Jesus was was killed right around the Passover. This is another feast where Jews, faithful God followers, uh, would come to Jerusalem for this feast. So there were thousands of extra people in Jerusalem during this feast. And you see this mighty coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to touch real quick... On, on signs before we get into what happened right here. Because some will say, okay, we want to be a New Testament church. And what they'll mean is we want to be like the church in Acts, seeing signs and wonders all the time. And what happens with that a lot of times is it becomes emotional and about experience rather than the foundational truth of Scripture. Now here, can God do signs and wonders and does he now? I believe absolutely. Absolutely. But as you study scripture, there's really only three times in history where you see a a real plethora of of signs and wonders. That's a good word. Look it up. Um, And you see it during the time of Moses, during the time of Elijah and Elisha, and then during the time of Jesus and the apostles. And there's a reason for that. A message and a messenger that that God is validating a new message or, or doing something a little bit different. But God never plans on us to live on those signs and wonders. Because real faith is never fed by miracles. Uh, You want some evidence? Look back at Moses and the Israelites. Remember, he leads them out of Egypt. 
They cross through the Red Sea, you know, where he raises his staff. The sea parts. Maybe you've seen the, the, the cartoon. Um, they walk on dry ground across the Red Sea. The, the Egyptians, the army following, says, hey, let's go get them. They go in. The sea comes in and kills all of them. They get to the other side. Woohoo! this is great. Moses goes up on a mountain, and he's gone a little bit too long, and so they gather their gold. They melt it down. They make a calf, and they start to worship it. Miracles don't sustain real faith. And so my point in that is we want to be a spirit-filled New Testament church, but it doesn't mean we're looking for signs and wonders all the time. But here, there is a sign, there is a wonder, and it has a purpose. What is it? It's the speaking in tongues. But I want you to picture this scene first. Uh, A lot of times we focus on the speaking in tongues, and we're going to talk about that because it is significant. But picture this scene, a a room maybe this size. There's 120 of us in here praying, expecting God to do something because he said he was going to. He says, go, wait, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The sound of a rushing wind. Now, remember, Luke is writing this. Luke probably wasn't here, but Luke uh, got all his info from the people who were there. And he asked, I mean, just picture this. He probably sat down again at Starbucks with somebody like, you were there. What was it like? Well, it was like the sound of a rushing wind. It was like, you know, they're describing it. It was like this. And this sound, it wasn't wind. You know, if you've seen videos or movies, they'll show like people's hair blowing, you know, when this is happening. I don't think so because it says it's the sound of a rushing wind and not just a breeze, but like a tornado, just, you know, rushing wind. And the sound is heard outside because all the, a bunch of people outside hear it and that's what draws them. The multitude comes to this sound. So they hear this. Why, why wind? This is neat. The, the word wind... Uh, in Hebrew, is the same word wind and spirit. In Greek, the same word for wind and spirit. Same word. So this wind is symbolic of the coming of the Holy Spirit. It, it helped them understand a little bit what was happening. You know, the Holy Spirit came in power. And this was a new thing for the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit, you see him in the Old Testament, uh, the, the third member of the Trinity, however you want to describe the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit would come and then go come and go, you know, he would come on Samson, and he would do a mighty work, and the Holy Spirit would leave. The Holy Spirit would come and go, but here the Holy Spirit comes and stays, empowers his people for mission, and stays. You know, Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit to empower his people for mission, and that's what happened. So there's the wind, and then there's the tongues as of fire. I mean, picture that. What would that be like? You know, was it fire? Probably not, but it was as a fire. That's what it looked like. So we're in here, we're praying, we hear this rushing wind, and then like this ball of flame just appears. And then it says it separates. So it starts moving and it separates over each one, tongues as a fire. You know, was it small and split evenly? Was it big and it got smaller? I don't know. But just picture that scene. Imagine being in the back of the room and it's going over every, and you're the last one. Is it going to run out? Um, but, but this tongue as a fire appears on each one. Why? Why fire? Remember in the Old Testament, you look at God's presence with his people often symbolized by a pillar of fire. Uh, remember when Moses, leading the Israelites through the wilderness, uh, he obeyed God. They made the Ark of the Covenant. Remember Indiana Jones? That's what it looked like. Um, they, they make the Ark of the Covenant. 
There's these uh, cherubim on the top with their angels over what's called the mercy seat. And that was where God would symbolically be present with his people. And so when they wandered, this ark was in a tent. And during the day, above that tent would be a pillar of fire. And so for 40 years, the Israelites could look over there and go, God is with us. We see the fire. And then that later there was the temple. That ark was brought into the temple. And so that symbolism there then moved into the temple, that God's presence was now in the temple. Here, something changed significantly. Jesus died. He rose from the dead. Now he sends the Spirit. Now God's presence is with his people, not just in the temple, not just coming and going, but God's direct presence with his people. This is extremely significant. Again, if you're a note taker, this is one of the notes. And starting next week, we're going to have handouts. So if you're one of those that likes the handouts, they're coming back. Uh, But at Pentecost, the presence of God came to earth in his people. You ever hear the phrase, and and you'll see it in Scripture, that we are the temple of God? You know, or or this is why you should uh, be sexually pure as a Christian, because you're the temple of, of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's very real, because at the, in the temple, the temple was God's presence among his people. Now, we are his presence. Not a building, a people. You know, I mean, that's one of those where people say, oh, we're in the house of God. Not, this is a church building, but it's not the house of God. Why? You're the house of God. I'm the house of God. We are the house of God, and not just us. The other churches in town meeting right now, Jesus, they're the house of God. We are together. The African churches, the coast, I mean, just go through. The house of God is his people. This is different than it was before the coming of the Holy Spirit. So then this sign. Why this sign? The Holy Spirit comes on. They start speaking in tongues. The Spirit-filled disciples spoke in known languages so that people could hear about the great works of God through Jesus. Known languages. Now, we're not going to talk about the, the prayer languages. You know, there are branches of, of those who believe in Jesus uh, that would say you have to speak in tongues when you get the Holy Spirit because it's evidence. And in that, a lot of times in that branch, they, they say that that speaking in tongues is a secret prayer language. Um, and I've heard it before and, and, and mumbling, and it's not a known language. And I'm not going to say they're wrong. I'm saying that's not what's happening here. Here, this is known languages for a purpose. And what's the purpose? For mission. This is really cool. Think about it. As you read through these verses, how many people, how many nations were represented there in Jerusalem in this crowd right then? It says every nation, verse 5. So so every known nation was represented there. And they're hearing God's word in their own language. How significant is that? Think about that. Here's the difference. Judaism before, you would go to the temple, you would go to Jerusalem to meet with God. Uh, If you were a proselyte, and there were some here, meaning you were something else, and you converted to Judaism, you became a Jew. Culturally, things changed. Islam, even now, uh, if you are, are, are Muslim, you can only read the Quran if you want it to be accurate in Arabic. Meaning, if you want to be a good Muslim, you have to become an Arab. God does it differently. God goes to the nations. God brings it to them in their own language. That's a big deal. I mean, these people walking along and they hear it. Nobody around here speaks my language because I'm a Cretan or whatever. Um, 
But they're, they're telling about the mighty works of God, and that person I know doesn't even know my language. You know, I don't know, was there an accent? Was it perfect? But they're hearing the word of God in their own language. The kingdom Jesus planned to grow would be a spiritual one in the midst of all cultures and nations. I think this is really neat. And you'll see that then, especially as Paul goes on his missionary journeys. You know, God doesn't go and try and change a culture to match another. He goes and redeems cultures. An African church, they remain African. You know, we've made mistakes at times with missionary movements trying to, uh, you know, save people and then make them like us, you know, European or whatever. God doesn't have to do it that way. He can go in and redeem a culture and keep the good parts of it and then draw it to Christ. So God reaches people where they are at. He wants to go, again, as we're talking about a movement and a mission, this is God's movement. God goes to people. If he's doing it still, then we are going to people. We meet people where they're at. Or really, I should say, God does it through us. Now, this is happening. The crowd comes around, and they're looking, and some go, they're drunk, which is kind of a weird conclusion. Uh, there's, I guess a bunch of people speaking languages you don't know might sound drunk. But Peter addresses them, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. That's nine o'clock in the morning. We're not going to drink till later. <laughs> but, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. They're not drunk. No, this is a fulfillment of a prophecy that you know. You're, you're all Jews or proselytes. They knew the Old Testament. They probably read this prophecy. And he quotes it. In the last days... It shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. When is this prophecy talking about? The end times, the last days. And some of this was fulfilled right then. Some of this is still yet to be fulfilled. Some of this will be filled in the next, the great day when Jesus returns. Now, maybe at night you look outside and you're like, uh, the, the moon is bloody right now. Maybe we're there. Well, that's just California fire. But who knows how God will turn the moon to blood? We don't know. Some of this is coming later. Some of this was happening now. Why is that significant? For them, he was saying this to say, it is the last days now. And it's been the last days for 2,000 years. Meaning Jesus can come back any minute. We are in the last days. Time is short. This miracle was evidence that the last days had begun. They were looking forward to this time. And what is significant in these last days for God's people? Again, the temple was a place. The, the temple was where they would go to worship uh, when Jesus died. You know, reading the Gospels, uh, Jesus died on the cross. You know, he, he gave up his spirit. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Uh, darkness comes over the land, and an earthquake shook Jerusalem when he died. When that earthquake happened in the temple, remember that ark? 
that ark was in the Holy of Holies, a place that only the high priest could go and only once a year. And it was separated from the rest of the temple by a curtain, a veil, and it was thick. I mean, you can read in the Old Testament how it was sewed together. That thing would not tear. When that earthquake happened, when Jesus died, that, tail was, that veil was torn from top to bottom, ripped. God was, was very clearly saying, things are different now. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go to the temple. I'm coming to you. And now you have direct access to God, and we are his temple. This is why the Holy Spirit has come, to empower us for Jesus' mission, so that people will be saved. Look at the last verse, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if we studied the Holy Spirit, we would see a lot of things about the Spirit. You know, we would see He's the comforter. We would see that He is the healer. We would see that He gives spiritual gifts for use within the body. We'll see a lot of things. We'll see that our, now as we as, as believers, how do we walk faithfully? We walk by the Spirit. We walk abiding in Christ. We walk by the Spirit. Galatians will say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Then we ask the question, well, how do we know if we're walking by the Spirit? Well, the writer of Galatians will say, you will see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. If you want to know if you're controlled by the Spirit, look at your life. You will see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the evidence of the Spirit being in control of your life. But none of that's talked about here. The emphasis here is the Holy Spirit coming in power so his people will be a witness. Does the Holy Spirit do all of that and more? Yes. What's emphasized here is what was promised before, that the Holy Spirit will come upon you in power to be a witness. They were being a witness, empowered by the Holy Spirit, speaking languages they did not know. That's the main point here. So again, I don't want to get distracted by the other aspects of the Spirit. Those are great. But here, very clearly, when the church started, it started as a movement of the Spirit through His people. And how many people were saved this day? 3,000. 3,000 people saved one day. I mean, you look at that and you go, man, Jesus, He only had 120 followers after three years. The disciples get one hour and boom, 3,000 followers. Because Jesus is up to something different. God is up to something new. Remember, God does not have a mission for his church. He has a church to carry out his mission. And he has empowered that church with himself. We have his presence. So what do we take from this? I think there's two things that we should take from this. One is the significance that God is present with us. That's a big deal. When we gather, we're not just a group of people gathering. We are God's temple. We are his house. Again, this is not God's building. We are God's building. When we gather, he is here. So we can expect the Holy Spirit to be here with us. We can expect the Holy Spirit to convict, to draw people. To, we can expect him to do things. That's a big deal. And with that comes, we're God's plan A and there is no plan B. Again, God's mission is to empower his people to share the gospel with others. And that's his plan A. And he's not going, well, if they mess it up, I'm going to do this. That's his plan. That's why he gave us the Spirit. And so there's the second one. Is are we letting the Holy Spirit have control and letting him live in and through us to be on mission? 
Again, as we go through Acts, we're going to see this church was a multiplying church, and that's what we want to be. You know, and that's why we're going to try this house church thing in a couple weeks. Maybe God wants to use that to reach other people. We're willing to try things. We're willing to fail. We're willing to go because guess what? God's the power. The Holy Spirit's doing the work. We just get to join him. We don't have to be smart or creative or charismatic. And yet we just get to follow Jesus and let him do what he already wants to do. It's an exciting, exciting thing to be part of. Let's pray and worship. Lord Jesus, you said a lot of things while you were walking the earth, and we only have some of them written down. You said that you came to seek and save the lost. Through Peter, you tell us that you desire none to be lost, but for all to come to repentance. Uh, The way you challenge the religious leaders makes clear you're not looking for religious people. You want to save us normal people, and then inspire us by, by giving your Holy Spirit to us, uh, growing our love for you, that you would change us from the inside out, and that's who we want to be. We thank you that it's up to you, and we surrender to you. Holy Spirit, we give you control of our lives, of our church, of our families. Make us more and more like Jesus, and then use us to spread this abundant life, this great life, not one of of wealth, uh, of health even, but this, this great life of love, joy, peace, patience, all that list. That's the life we want. And that's the life we want others to enjoy as well. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.